Well, good morning again, Calvary Bible Church. Please turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. We've been looking at a section of text that deals with the false teachings that had already crept into the churches there on the Isle of Crete. And in this little series of messages, we first considered those who must be silenced. This is looking back at verses 10 to 16. We considered those who are defiled. And instead of me recapping everything, let's just read again this text of Titus 1, 10 to 16, and, and be reminded of what this false teaching looked like and Paul's admonition to Timothy, excuse me, to Titus as to what to do about it. First and foremost, he wanted him to appoint elders in every city. We see that looking back at verse 5. Those who would hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that they will be able to exhort in sound doctrine And refute those who contradict. Why don't you please stand for the reading of God's word. This is again Titus. Beginning in chapter 1 verse 10 to 16. Paul writes to Titus. For there are many rebellious men. Empty talkers and deceivers. Especially those of the circumcision. Who must be silenced. Because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. Not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Hear the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Excuse me. Well, friends, what I wanted to do this morning is I I, I feel the need to talk some more about the false teachings that creep into the church and in some cases are things that are even invited in, even welcomed in. And over the last couple of weeks, I've given you some, some modern day examples of people and their false teachings that have infiltrated into the the modern church. I, I wanted to spend one more week, it's actually going to be two more weeks, to uh, address just a, a behemoth of an issue. <clears throat> but first, let me just say that one of the dangerous things about false teachings, false teachers and their doctrine, is is the way they line up in many ways with with a, a certain amount of Christian orthodoxy. 
even biblical truth. It could be, you know, maybe 80, 90 percent of what they might be teaching is Bible. And then maybe this 10 to 20 percent, though, would be heresy. But it's often then the kind of heresy that is deeply important, usually affecting the gospel and what we might call kind of first tier doctrines. And what these false teachers do then as wolves in sheep's clothing is make their teaching seem compatible, seem like orthodoxy, when in reality it's actually damning. Now, let me ask you this. Would you be able to uh, tell the difference between a frog and a toad? Maybe some of you can. That wouldn't have been me. I had to look it up and find out that frogs have a mucousy, smooth skin with long legs, while toads have bumpy, thicker skin and short legs. We have a tree in our backyard that you would look at that tree and you would swear it's a lemon tree. The fruit basically looks like lemons. It's yellow in color, maybe a little smaller than the average lemon, but it's not until you pick one and cut into it, smell it, and then even taste it that you realize it's a lime tree. It's called a sweet lime tree, but it's a lime tree nonetheless. It looks very similar But yet it is still different. Unless you had been taught the difference, how would you necessarily know if a snake was venomous or not? Maybe this is why many of us hate snakes, period. Of course, Satan was a snake. Now, all of this to say, if we don't know what to look for in order to identify something that might be a false or even heretical teaching, these teachings then can more easily just kind of wedge their way in, slip their way through the doors of the church without notice, and surely try and gain a foothold. Now, there are all kinds of false teachings and heretical doctrines that we could talk about. And I started out with this humongo list. But for the purpose of today's message and and the one to follow, I want to focus on on something much more specific. And uh, believe you me, it's a doozy. I want to kind of tell you about how this this came about and, and... and how I came to this conclusion that this is really something that we do need to talk about. A few weeks back, I was leading communion, and I I, um, I gave a quote from another pastor and mentioned several words, one of the things in there being wokeness. And um, it was uh, interesting because I, I had a sister in the Lord come up to me afterwards uh, in between um, the service and her fellowship time, and she said, Pastor, I just wanted to get some clarity from you as to what you meant when you made the, quoted the, the other fellow about wokeness. And it, and it got me to thinking because I thought, well, I have what I understand and perceive to be as <clears throat> wokeness, but is that really the case? Is that really true of 
what it all means. And so it kind of got me to thinking. Uh, this is this is an area that I haven't done much more than just listen to what I see and hear on the media and hear talked about uh, amongst people. It's not something that I had really done any in-depth study on. And so I started to do that. And as I did that, I thought, well, this actually fits right in here with Titus and kind of where we're at and what we're teaching because it is something that is so prevalent right now out there in our world. And in the context of false teachings and teachers um, and wanting to bring before you things that could be either dangerous or even injurious to the church, and I I think this uh, understanding of wokeness uh, can be just that. Um, There are ideologies and there are world views that go along with this concept of wokeness and some other things that we're going to be talking about with that would be something called you probably heard all of these critical race theory or crt intersectionality and the social justice movement and things like these and and by the way, as we move forward from here, I'm I'm just letting you know I'm going to use the term wokeness as kind of a general umbrella term to include these other things that we will be talking about. Now, I, I in doing so and in kind of embarking on my own study here, the thing that I wanted to do most was be able to take what we see, hear, know, and understand about these these ideologies, these philosophies, and we want to do what? We want to run them through this, the pages of Scripture. We have to have a biblical lens in trying to understand these things and evaluating these things. So part of my own study, I wanted to make sure I didn't just look at at kind of um, a, a, a Christian side of things. We will get there. I wanted to make sure I understood from these different ideologies and philosophies what they believe and say about them. So I rounded up some resources. I I got Ibram Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. I got Beverly D'Angelo's Right White Fragility. And then um, I, I... Believe me, rounded up a host of of articles written by just a wide range of people. From then a Christian perspective, I uh, I got Owen Strawn's Christianity and Wokeness, which is kind of a leading resource in this uh, sphere of things. I got Vody Bauckham Jr.'s Fault Lines and John Benzinger's Stand. I've also had the privilege of interviewing certain individuals that I hold in extremely high regard uh, and who have tremendous knowledge on these subjects. And I recognize that this, again, it's a doozy. It is. It is big. It is deep. It is wide. And in many ways, we will only scratch the surface And this will by no means be an exhaustive study on these issues, but maybe it will just be even a starting chapter, a a place to start, a place to have conversation, um, and, and where we will be able to incorporate and look at other things on down the line. And believe me when I say this, I know I don't have all the answers. I am far from it. Thankfully, we have a book that does have all the answers. And that is, again, what we will seek to do in the next couple of messages is is look at these things biblically. That being said, and I waited until we got to this point intentionally, 
Let's pray because we need it. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this body of Calvary Bible Church. An emphasis, Lord, on Bible. An emphasis on church. And of course, Calvary, Lord, because that's what it's all about. The saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, these are weighty issues. And and you know... The study that I've done thus far, you know everything about, Lord, these issues and proponents and and detractors. And, and, Lord, you know the truth of your word. And that is what we seek in all of this, Lord. We we seek to understand things in light of your gospel truth. And, Lord, what we seek, of course, is um, Christ likeness. We, we want to represent Christ out there in the world. And all of these things are a part of the world right now. So Lord, give us keen insight. Help us to interpret things properly. All for your glory, honor, and praise. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Now I've titled this message, False Teachings in the Church Today. The religion of wokeness. Now, why do I use the word religion? Webster's defines religion as a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. And then you go down just a little bit and you look at the word religious in Webster's and it says, relating to or manifesting faithful devotion to an acknowledged ultimate reality or deity. And so in that, what I have come to learn, know, and understand about wokeness, it certainly falls into this category of being even a religion. Now, here's how this is going to kind of play out. The the sermon is two messages, like I said, um, And it's really three basic points. First, uh, we will start out with some definitions and some historical context, which you will largely get today. Secondly, we will evaluate key tenets of wokeness in light of Scripture. We will start that today, but we will not finish it until um, uh, our next message, whether that's next week or I haven't figured out when it's going to be yet. Thirdly, we will ask the question, so... What do we do with all of this? All of these things that we have learned, what are we to do with them? What is our biblical call to do with them? And that will be in that second message because I I will say to you, yeah, there's plenty that we can and should be doing as believers out there in the world pertaining to these things. So, um, and that being said, there's going to be some just great understandings of, of, of hope of what God has uh, for us and what he has called us to and for the world at large. But first, definitions and historical context. First, some definitions. You're going to hear lots of quotes. We're going to have some things up on the screen. Know this too, that we're going to be sending out an email. And at the very end, I'm going to give you all kinds of questions to consider. We're going to send this stuff out to you, okay? So if you're a note taker and we're going too fast and you're like, oh, wait, slow down, I can't get that. You'll, you'll, you'll have it in your email, okay? First, some definitions. Now, the problem with definitions is that any person or group or publication who comes up with the definition does so from what? A certain point of view. They have their own presuppositions. 
So that being said, it's hard to find a truly middle of the road, unbiased definition for the terms that we are interested in. In addition, I want to define these terms and these particular movements um, as the world defines them and as these movements themselves define uh, these things. And one thing I want to say about these definitions is that I have learned in my own study that most of these terms and most of these movements that we will be defining and talking about, they have actually been redefined, say, in the last 15 years or so. And what some of these terms and these movements have evolved into is not necessarily how they started. Hear that clearly. Some had much more humble beginnings with very good intentions and a desire to right certain wrongs. The first uh, definition is this, wokeness, wokeness. Christian author Owen Strawn in his book, Christianity and Wokeness, says this, quote, wokeness is first and foremost a mindset and a posture. The term itself means that one is awake to the true nature of the world when so many are asleep. In the most specific terms, this means one sees the comprehensiveness of inequity of our social order and strives to highlight power structures in society that stem from racial privilege. End quote. The Oxford English Dictionary added woke as an adjective back in 2017. Originally, it was well-informed and up-to-date. Now it became alert to racial or social discrimination and injustice. Merriam-Webster also added it in 2017 uh, as, quote, aware of and actively attentive to important societal facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice, end quote. They also give a sort of, I guess you'd call it a negative definition. Uh, it, It says this also, quote, as politically liberal as in matters of racial and social justice, especially in a way that is considered unreasonable or extreme, end quote. Dictionary.com writes, uh, having or marked by an active awareness of systemic injustices and prejudices, especially those involving the treatment of ethnic, racial, or sexual minorities. And, uh, I, you know, you, you don't hear a lot of Wikipedia quotes from me, but I, I went to, uh, again, some of these sources because I knew this would be a generalized understanding from the world at large out there. In Wikipedia, the phrase, stay woke has history in African-American vernacular English that goes back as far as the 1930s. In some contexts, referring to an awareness of the social and political issues affecting African-Americans. And we could say, yes, that, that is a good thing, that these things would be understood. Today, woke is an adjective meaning alert to racial prejudice and discrimination. Beginning in the uh, 2010s, 2010s, it came to encompass a broader awareness of social inequalities such as 
sexism and has also been used as shorthand for American left ideas involving identity politics and social justice, such as the notion of white privilege and slavery reparations for African Americans, end quote. In a Fox News article, uh, What Does Woke Mean?, they report this. In 2013 and 2014, after Florida man George Zimmerman was acquitted in Trayvon Martin's slaying and the police-involved death of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, a wave of Black Lives Matter activism emerged around the country. The phrase went from Twitter hashtag to rallying cry End quote. I will interject to say that the word exploded even more after the police involved death of George Floyd. The article continues, the word woke became entwined with the Black Lives Matter movement instead of just being a word that signaled awareness of injustice or racial tension. It became a word of action. Activists were woke and called on others to stay woke, end quote. Vox.com reports, in the years since Michael Brown's death, woke has evolved into a single-word summation of leftist political ideology centered on social justice politics and critical race theory. This framing of woke is bipartisan. It is used as a shorthand for political progressiveness by the left and as a denigration of leftist culture by the right. On the left, to be woke means to identify as a staunch social justice advocate who's abreast of contemporary political concerns. On the right, woke bespeaks political correctness gone awry. And the term itself is usually used sarcastically, end quote. That's our biggest definition because, again, I give you wokeness as kind of an overarching term. Let's move on to critical race theory or CRT. I give you this from the Encyclopedia Britannica. <clears throat> it's funny because those used to be those things you had on your shelves, huh? And they like took up two shelves, encyclopedias. Well, you can still go online and find encyclopedias. But uh, Encyclopedia Britannica says this as for uh, critical race theory. Intellectual and social movement loosely organized framework of legal analysis based on the premise that race is not a natural, biologically grounded feature of physically distinct subgroups of human beings, but a socially constructed, culturally invented category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color. Critical race theorists hold that racism is inherent in the law and legal institutions of the United States insofar as they function to create and maintain social, economic, and political inequalities between whites and non-whites, especially African Americans. Critical race theorists are generally dedicated to applying their understanding of the institutional or structural nature of racism to the concrete, if distant, goal of eliminating all race-based and other unjust hierarchies, end quote. I offer you this from the Legal Defense Fund of the NAACP, um, uh, which uh, speaks of critical race theory as 
an academic and legal framework that denotes that systemic racism is part of American society from education and housing to employment and health care. Critical race theory recognizes that racism is more than the result of individual bias and prejudice. It is embedded in laws, policies, and institutions that uphold and reproduce racial inequalities. According to CRT, societal issues like black Americans' higher mortality rate, outsized exposure to police violence, the school-to-prison pipeline, denial of affordable housing, and the death rates of black women in childbirth are not unrelated anomalies. Again, I'm just offering you definitions by different groups. Some of the buzzwords that surround uh, critical race theory can be um, things like systemic racism, implicit bias, whiteness, white privilege, cultural appropriation, colonization, microaggression, and social justice. So when you hear these kinds of words, that's uh, oftentimes kind of some of the buzzwords that surround CRT. Now, others would say... That CRT can be traced back to Karl Marx and his philosophical framework that rejects the validity of concepts such as rationality and objective truth. In Mar- uh, it posits, uh, posits two categories, oppressed and oppressors. In Marx's original formulations, the lens was the economic class with the middle class being the oppressors and the lower class... The oppressed. Some would say that CRT substitutes race for class. According to CRT, the entire system of a society is defined by those who have power, namely whites, and those who don't, namely people of color. This leads us to our third definition, that of intersectionality. Intersectionality. Professor Legal scholar and civil rights activist Kimberly Crenshaw coined the term intersectionality back in 1989, which emerged from the ideas debated in critical race theory. In 2015, it found its way into the Oxford English Dictionary as well as Webster's. In in the Oxford English Dictionary, it says, the interconnected nature of social categorizations such as race, class, and gender regarded as creating overlapping and interdependent systems of discrimination or disadvantage. Webster's definition is a little less academic, saying this, the complex cumulative way in which the effects of multiple forms of discrimination, such as racism, sexism, and classism, combine, overlap, or intersect, especially in the experiences of marginalized individuals or groups, end quote. Or, uh, Vody Bauckham gives it even more succinctly. Vody Bauckham summarizes saying, intersectionality is about the multiple layers of oppression minorities suffer. For instance, if a black person has one layer of oppression, then a black woman would have two layers, and a black lesbian woman would say have three, etc., etc. Number four, our fourth definition, the social justice movement, or SJM. 
Again, back to Encyclopedia Britannica, they write in contemporary politics, social science, and political philosophy, social justice is the fair treatment and equitable status of all individuals and social groups within a state or society. The term also is used to refer to social, political, and economic institutions, laws, or policies that collectively afford such fairness and equity and is commonly applied to movements that seek fairness, equity, inclusion, self-determination, or other goals for currently or historically oppressed, exploited, or marginalized populations. Modern developments reflect the gradual broadening of social justice as a practical ideal now encompassing a number of themes and issues beyond basic rights and economic equality. In general terms, the ideal uh, that activists aimed for was a society that values fairness and equity for all individuals and social groups in all areas of life. That recognizes and respects differing ethnic, cultural, gender, and other identities among citizens. And most importantly, that affords a dignified and fulfilling existence for all individuals. End quote. Now, some of these definitions, you might be thinking, well, yeah, that that does sound pretty good, right? I mean... Um, Yet, even here, this is another phrase we need to be extremely careful with because on the outset, it can seem like a good thing, right? I mean, who doesn't want justice for members of society that have been treated unjustly? When we rally against abortion, is that not a form of social justice? We want social justice for the unborn. Absolutely and amen. Who doesn't want justice for any group of people or individual that has been sinned against? But what has come to be known as the social justice movement is not simply that. In fact, it is a form of justice that never seeks to incorporate biblical justice. We'll have more on that in our next message as well. Now... We're almost at the Bible part, gang. We're almost there. Thank you for bearing with me. I know this is a lot of, of info, but it just it really couldn't be helped to get to the part where we look at Scripture. Before we move on, though, to what the Bible says, it might be helpful for us to summarize some of the current and key beliefs of these movements in a modern context. Not maybe what they started as, but what, what, what they are now um, and what they... Purport because these movements have so much overlap with each other. Again, I will continue to use this term wokeness as a general descriptor for them all. And when I say wokeness, just again, for clarity's sake, I am not referring to the foundational concept of keeping oneself awake and even alert to racism because we would say yes and amen but rather the more modern concept that encompasses the movements that we have been talking about. So after an analysis of wokeness and CRT and intersectionality and social justice, Owen Strawn, again in his book, Christianity and Wokeness, he offers these seven key commitments of wokeness. In other words, this is what 
the, uh, the modern woke ideology believes. One, that the world is fundamentally divided into oppressors and depressed people. Secondly, a major form of oppression today comes from whiteness. Thirdly, whiteness is not a neutral system, but creates a culture of white supremacy that most benefits white people and also others who fail to challenge it. Fourthly, the evils of this culture show up in disparities between groups, which reveal inequities, which reveal injustices. In other words, disparities lead to inequities, which lead to injustices. Fifthly, white supremacy must be vigorously opposed through social justice, anti-racism, and the targeting of white privilege. Six, more broadly, any form of privilege and oppression stemming from heteronormative white capitalist patriarchal structures must be opposed. And seven, we can create a just, fair, diverse, and inclusive society grounded in equality of outcome by targeting any inequities through political, legal, cultural, and fiscal means so that inequitable authority is deprivileged and minority groups are empowered. Now, we're going to move on to part two which is evaluation of key tenets in light of Scripture. In other words, what does the Bible say? And we're only going to get through the first two of, of possibly eight or ten uh, this morning, okay? And the first is this. Uh, the first uh, tenet that I want us to focus on is the fact that ethnicity is not the same as race, Ethnicity is not the same as race. If we consider a biblical definition of race, most people, woke and CRT advocates included, do not use the term race correctly. Turn to Acts chapter 17, or we would say biblically. Acts 17, verse 26 In Acts 17, verse 26, <clears throat> here Paul is preaching his famous sermon on Mars Hill to the men of Athens. When he says this in verse 26, And he, meaning God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Now, the Greek word there used for mankind, which would refer to men and women, is anthropos, which we get the word anthropology or the study of people, right? Human beings. The word for nations is ethnos which is where we get the word ethnic or ethnicity, which denotes different people groups. To borrow an illustration from Daryl Harrison's talk, 
the spiritual deception of wokeness at this year's Shepherds Conference at Grace Community Church. He asked, quote, how many of you men have ever eaten at a restaurant that specialized in racial cuisine? Or how many times have we looked in a cookbook for a racial recipe? We haven't. But you probably have been to an ethnic restaurant and maybe used an ethnic recipe. Now, why is this so important? Because, friends, there is no such thing, biologically speaking, as human races. Okay? Turn to James 3 and verse 7. James chapter 3 and verse 7. Right after the book of Hebrews there, towards the back, James 3 Verse 7. This is that classic tame the tongue section. James speaks to the evil of our tongues, which is really to say the evil heart behind our tongues, right? And he says this in James 3 and verse 7, where we read For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race just stop there what we need to see here is that it's the same greek word used here of both species and race it's this word phusis and it means the constitution or form of a person or thing by its nature and what this tells us is that before Darwin came along, race used to, was used to denote types of things, kinds of things, species of things. In other words, there are races of plants. And there are races of animals, but there is one human race. In other words, people weren't divided up into separate species, kinds, or races. We are all one race made up of different ethnicities. Harrison stresses, quote, in wokeness, race is a mutable, alterable, impermanent social construct. You must understand that, he emphasized, end quote. In other words, it is a societal creation that is fluid. It can always change or be changed. Harrison then goes on to share how this is clearly understood in the critical race theory camp, citing Dr. Gloria Ladson Billings, a professor in the Department of Educational Policy Studies at the University of Wisconsin Madison, who was one of the writers of the handbook of critical race theory and education. And by the way, Harrison notes that the U of W at Madison was the birthplace academically of critical race theory back in the summer of 1989 with Billings as a part of that contingency. Billings writes, quote, biologists, geneticists, and anthropologists all agree that race is not a scientific reality. Despite what we perceive as phenotypic differences, phenotypic differences, that just means, I had to look that one up, it means observable properties of an organism. 
Despite what we perceive as phenotypic differences, the scrutiny of a microscope or the sequencing of genes reveals no perceptible differences between what we call races as members of the same species. End quote. In other words, again, there is only one race, the human race, from which we all have come from one man, Adam, with the one race made up of different ethnicities. And I think one of the things that's important about this as we get into our next point is that so much of, of wokeness really seeks to divide people instead of unify them. Separating people into races just seems, in, in my mind anyway, much more divisive than acknowledging different ethnicities. So our second point is this. Wokeness is at odds with the Imago Dei and promotes disunity over unity. It is at odds with the image of God and promotes disunity over unity. Turn back in your Bibles the opposite direction and go to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. This will be a passage that many of you are familiar with. Of course, this is the sixth day of creation after God has made the cattle and the creeping things and the beasts of the earth when he says this in verse 26, or, or the author Moses writes this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, look down to Genesis 2 and verse 7. Genesis 2 and verse 7. You might know that Genesis chapter 2 is, is really just a more in-depth look uh, at the sixth day of creation. And we read this in Genesis 2, beginning in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground... And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now let's skip down to verse 18. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now look down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs... And closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, again, I know many of you are very familiar with this passage, but the, the, we could talk about this passage till the cows come home. There's all kinds of great things that we could learn from this passage. But what I want to stress from it right here and now is that the unity, I want you to see the unity that is inherent in God's creation of the one human race. 
We are all united by the Imago Dei. Every human being, whoever was, is, or will be, is a person made in the image of God. We are all God's image bearers. That's Christians and non-Christians alike. That's every human being, right? We are all God's image bearers, not just as Christians, but for everybody. Every person, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity have come from Adam and are God's image bearers. And we are unified in this, not disunified. As Owen Strawn says, we are not fundamentally different, but fundamentally alike, end quote. And yet, and yet, friends, are we not wonderfully diverse? Oh, what a blessing that is. Fundamentally diverse, wonderfully diverse, geographically diverse, ethnically diverse, personally diverse. Yes, we've all been infected with sin which plays a part in everything we're talking about as, as we are all capable of both good and evil. But even in that, even in us being sinners, is there not a certain unity in the fact that we are all sinners? Now, along these lines of sin, we should also say that there is nothing sinful about being part of any ethnic group. Or having any certain kind of skin color, including being white. Now, this flies in the face of Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, with the byline, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. By the way, let me just briefly say that white fragility can be defined as discomfort and defensiveness on the part of a white person when confronted about racial inequality and injustice. In any case, D'Angelo's white fragility book sends the message that all white people are racist and that without a lifetime of never-ending conscientious effort, a white person will always be racist because they've been insulated by their white privilege their whole lives. In a 2021 news article by Jade Bremner in the U.S. version of Independent, he reports this, quote, Coca-Cola has come under fire from conservative critics who have accused the drink's brand of reverse racism after it used a training video that encouraged staff to, quote, try to be less white. The content of a training session was leaked by Coca-Cola by a Coca-Cola employee who sent pictures of slides asking white people to, quote, be less ignorant and, quote, be less oppressive the training session was in association with robin d'angelo author of white fragility and was sent to staff to help build an inclusive workplace one slide in her training session sent to coca-cola employees outlined that in order to be less white is to be less arrogant less certain less defensive less ignorant less oppressive and be more humble, end quote. Friends, let's speak the obvious here. State the obvious. There is nothing 
in Scripture that teaches that to be a part of any specific culture or, again, ethnicity or of a different skin color is sinful. Racism is sinful. And certainly white supremacy is sinful. And both need to be repented of. But whiteness is not indicative of either of these. When anyone would suggest otherwise, they are participating in the sin of bearing false witness against their neighbor. Exodus 20 and verse 16, Matthew 15 verse 19. Worse though is that when we sin against another person, first and foremost, who are we sinning against? God. God. Has David acknowledged his own sins against Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and then said this in Psalm 51, 4, against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. The problem with woke ideology and thinking is that it doesn't default to human oneness and unity, but rather human diversity, which is to say division. But here's the thing. Diversity without any real hope for unity is what we see. One of the reasons that there is no hope for unity is because one people group, especially whites, are said to be inherently racist without the possibility of ever Truly being able to change that. Now returning to the fact that we are all God's image bearers. We might imagine that this should be a point of evangelism. Right? Between the church and those that might be steeped in wokeness. As the gospel could be shared. And a a proper understanding of people's identities as God's image bearers would become clear. Instead of different people groups despising and hating one another by embracing the fact that we are all made in God's image, wouldn't we quickly realize that there is more that unites us than divides us? Furthermore, though sin is a part of every human's existence, The gospel of Jesus Christ, friends, is available to all. And it offers forgiveness to all. And it has the ability to change any person from the inside out and conform them into the image of Christ. All who come to Christ will be Renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is all and in all. And we could add people of different ethnicities and colors. In addition, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all, 
with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. We are all, as believers, being changed into the image of God. The very image of Christ. Is that not a giant hallelujah and amen? So, as we wrap this up this morning, I know there's still much more that to be said, and we will, we will say it, like I said, one more one more message. But here's some things to, to get you thinking. And these are, again, questions that we're going to put out on uh, email and whatnot. So, so don't feel like you've got to write all these down right now. This will go out um, hopefully tomorrow. Things I want you to start thinking about. Number one, think about some of the attacks against the gospel that you have seen even during your time as a Christian, right? Your days as a Christian. Evaluate some of those. What were some of the ways that God even used courageous people to fight against those attacks? And like I said at the beginning, how did you kind of understand that, well, that is an attack on the gospel? How are you able to tell the difference? Because that's what we have to be able to do, right? Secondly, read Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. And ask yourself, what specific words does Paul use to describe and what specific responses does Paul model to the message of the false teachers that were attacking the Galatian churches of his day? Thirdly, how have you understood or experienced wokeness, critical race theory, intersectionality, or social justice? What have you learned about them? Consider, uh, fourthly, consider Ephesians 6 and verse 12. How does Paul remind that the church's ultimate struggle is not against flesh and blood? How does this apply to wokeness teaching? Fifthly, what does it mean for the Christian to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. Sixthly, how does wokeness commit the sins of bearing false witness? How does wokeness, number seven, detract from God's design for humanity? And eight, be thinking about what the scripture calls all of us as Christians to do. And start with 1 John three sixteen to 18. Let's pray. Father, again, we recognize that this is, it's a lot. As we said at the beginning, it's big, it's deep, it's wide. And Lord, who, who are we to be prepared to tackle such weighty things? But Lord, we come to these things, we pray, with the mind of Christ I pray we come to these things armed with the truth. And that, Lord, we are able then to disseminate truth from error. And we're able to, in some cases, not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Recognize, Lord, what truth is in some of these things we've talked about in these movements. But then where there is error and what we are to do about it. How do we apply the scriptures to these things? Lord, if there's anyone here, first and foremost, though, that needs to know Christ as their Savior, as their Lord, I pray right now that they would pray a prayer of 
repentance, seeking your forgiveness and trusting in the finished and completed work of Jesus Christ, crucified on the cross, but raised to victorious life three days later. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.